You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Before we get started on today's podcast, we have a little note for you. Out August the 3rd is Professor Amanda Kirby and my new book, Neurodiversity at Work. You can buy it from the publisher, Kogan Page, or you'll find it on Amazon or most other good bookstores. Pre-order it now or wait until the 3rd of August to get your copy. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It is an absolute pleasure and privilege to have you on. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Let them know who you are, what you're about, what you do. Absolutely, Theo. Thanks so much. Uh, My name is Nat Lakowski, and I work for IBM. Uh, I've been with IBM for over 26 years, and I'm proud and honored and blessed to be the global co-chair of IBM's neurodiversity at IBM, Global Business Resource Group. So I've been in this role for, actually it began in 2015 and I've been global co-chair since 2016. And I am also proudly neurodivergent and also the parent of a neurodivergent. Amazing. So we'll come on to the, the work that you do IBM in a second, which I think is incredible. And obviously, for a good sustained amount of time, if you think around, you know, neurodiversity is really taking off at the moment. But obviously, you've been starting way, way, way back, um, which is great. But I guess that comes from what you just mentioned there around kind of the family makeup and your own makeup. What does neurodiversity mean to you? Tell us a little bit about, uh, yeah, what is neurodiversity and why you care? Oh, hard to even put that into words. So. Neurodiversity to me means we are a, sorry, Uh, neurodiversity to me is accepting and respecting neurological differences just as we would any other human variation. And it's really working to move neurological differences out of a medical model and into a social model where it's just another factor of diversity and not something to be cured or masked or to be embarrassed of or that you suffer from. Um, And it just makes us all more human. Amazing. And I I know that, um, you know, well, basically, IBM, uh, we've covered it off in the book that Amanda and I wrote, uh, Neurodiversity at Work, um, which was incredible. I'm glad we were able to achieve that. Well, what I'm hoping today is to hear, you know, uh, uh, about some of that work uh, in a bit more detail. Um, And, you know, your role, uh, it sounds like quite an important, significant role as part of that uh, neurodiversity program uh, within IBM. Tell us a little bit about it. Tell us what it looks like. What do you do? Yeah, sure, sure. So in 2015, two IBMers, um, actually one IBMer, 
uh, began a business resource group, and these are basically volunteer-run communities. Some companies call them ERGs versus BRGs, uh, and it was started, and it was called Autism as a Skill, and it was predominantly all caregivers or supporters or allies of wanting to try to improve neurodiversity, or actually at that time specifically autism representation, and discuss and try to get more neurodivergence uh, into IBM from that hiring aspect. And in 2017, IBM had its first targeted uh, hiring pilot, and we worked with Specialisterna, um, wonderful company. And in 2018, we rebranded as Neurodiversity at IBM to really widen that net and ensure that all neurological differences and not disorders um, to go through that can be embraced. And in 2018, we also started moving our focus to the neurodivergent voice instead of that ally voice and focusing on synergy between the two groups because everyone has to work together, you know, meet, you know, meet in the middle of the street, so to speak. Um, so we are, have fantastic synergy with our neurotypical allies and our neurodivergence and really moving the needle forward. How, how, does that, um, how does that start then? Because you mentioned, you know, one person standing up and wanting to be counted. Um, how does that kind of get, become a program, this step from two people, one person talking with another, to all of a sudden you've got this autism hiring program and then, you know, it's gone global. Uh, it, it, what happens with those steps? Lots of lots of baby steps and sometimes bumps in the road too, but that's how you develop and change and grow. Um, right now, we're about 1,400, 1,500 um, allies with over, I think, 250 people taken, uh, sorry, 2,500 um, taken uh, our Neurodiversity uh, 101, our acceptance training. But it's really been... I think part of the culture of IBM to embrace diversity. So it's just becoming that next chapter. Um, and through all of our internal efforts, guest speaking, panel events, working with other companies, it's just becoming like we're moving out of that awareness stage, which everybody has to start in awareness and, I, and it's great, but not staying there long, use it as, as a springboard to get to acceptance, to get to advancement, where neurodivergence ha, you know, can bring their whole selves to work. And a lot of it is just having open and candid conversations about this. So two things that our, our BRG has done is we've developed, we, uh, we use virtual safe space communities where any IBMer can come to one of the gatekeepers and say, hey, I'm neurodivergent, or hey, I'm autistic, I want to be part of the community. And so one's called Actually Autistic, and one's called Actually Neurodivergent, or AND. We're so AND. And through that, you can get that psychological safety, which is so important, but it's not just that warm fuzzy. So we call these actually task forces. So we have, we can get vetting in real time. We can come together as neurodivergence and say, hey, April's coming. What do we want to do? What do we want to have shown? And at the same time, we can use that, that representation pool to get vetting. So our neurotypical allies can say, hey, we'd like to have this guest speaker. or Hey, this is a new benefits package. What do you think? And we can get 
quick buy-in from our community, from neurodivergent IBMers to VET, which is huge. It's not that well-intentioned ally trying to speak over. Um, it's a conversation between the both. So uh, do you just focus within those groups on um, kind of employment, the workplace, or do you find that people come to those groups uh, and can get support, I guess, if you're thinking around your children? Because, uh, you know, an employee may not be neurodivergent, for example, but they may have a child who's autistic. Yeah, great question. So our BRG actually hosts a third community. Um, the first two, actually autistic and actually neurodivergent, are for IBMers who they themselves are neurodivergent. Um, it's an honor system. We don't ask for any diagnosis. They um, don't even like that word. I like recognized instead because you know you don't go to the doctor to find out if you're you know some other diversity uh, you know factor. But it's for it, it's for that space for the employees. And it could be as simple as I'm having an issue with my manager. Does anybody have any suggestions on how to communicate this issue? Or I'm having an issue with my partner or my kid? Or does anybody have a great time management app that works for this situation? Um, which is great. Our third uh, community, which is open to all IBMers, it's called Neurodivergent Parents and Caregivers. So that is a space where Anybody can join if they are a parent, if they're a caregiver, if they're neurodivergent themselves, or they're just curious, and people can share best practices, and even globally, um, because everybody globally is in a different awareness or acceptance phase, uh, just due to you know the world being different. So I think it's really been impactful for a few reasons. Um, one, I, I've seen people you know, contact me one-on-one, -on -one, you know, kind of like as the mother bear of the group, and then find their courage to come out and ask for an accommodation, and then find their courage to come out and be a public speaker or one of our volunteers. We have a presentation squad of IBM neurodivergents who help do like an infomercial or presentation within the community, and it's so exciting to see that. And there are many neurodivergents who are parents of neurodivergents, so who better to ask and it's really as you said very recently exploded with uh, with activity and it's really exciting to see it's great so there's a couple of things that instantly come to mind so one uh, why i love this is because i may be able to explain to another parent who is adhd for example what it's like to be me and what have you but I can't really explain to somebody who's not neurodiverse what it's like to be my wife, if you see what I mean, who's not. So like, so, but she still needs support, right, in a workplace potentially because she has to put up with me and the kids and what have you. And this, uh, this stuff that may impact her on that basis. So what this does is this kind of community way of working. It kind of lowers so many barriers to be able to get help and support. And also, dare I say it, and lots of the listeners will be, from HR, and I am traditionally, you know, my, my career. But actually, there's a there's there's challenges from a hierarchical perspective of you going to HR and also your manager going to HR to maybe discuss the same thing with different outlooks, right? So being able to get that support network that is outside of HR or manager or whatever else, where really initially you just want to explore help, right? That's all you want. I imagine you don't want to 
call into question this, that, whatever. You just want help. Um, so I think it's incredible. And do you find that? Do you find that there's a great wide variety of people who call on uh, that support? Yeah, absolutely. And some of our initiatives that we've done have, have come out of these task forces. Um, some are work, workplace specific, like how to, how to best accommodate neurodivergence in the workplace. And it's a full menu uh, and it keeps growing every day. Every time somebody says, hey, this really worked for me, we, you know, we're able to add that to the list. Obviously, you know, you met one neurodivergent, you've met one neurodivergent. Some people may, may like a quiet, you know, light controlled area and some may not, but it's that synergy that we have constantly going. Um, some of our training is homegrown and some of it's, you know, formal. And we've been able to push this education out to over 30 countries to provide what we're calling enablement. And through our volunteer group, we've translated some of our material into like over 17 languages, not using Watson, just actually using our, our, hum our own human uh, people to come, to, to come forward. And I think that culture shift or that being a change maker is so important. It's not just checking a box. Um, any company could go out and say, I'm going to target hire the neurodivergent community, and we've hired X amount of people, and they're able to check the box. But when you look at the retention rate, the development rate, you know, neurodivergence go through all areas, you know, within IBM or within any organization. Uh, we had a panel event hosted by IBM Z, and we had a neurodivergent vice president, who is our new executive sponsor, all the way down through a neurodivergent intern. So it was so fantastic. We're getting more and more people to feel comfortable to come out, you know, to come out of the closet as neurodivergent. And it's so exciting to see. And that's the real culture change that we need. Um, and I'm a big gardener, as you can tell by my planty background here. But I like to say that the culture change for neurodiversity or neurodivergent acceptance uh, is very much to like gardening, right? If you get new seeds, you can't just lay them on top of the soil. They will be blown away. You have to put in the work. You have to turn the soil over. You have to get rid of the rocks and the sticks and amend the soil. So then it's an environment that you can then set down roots or thrive if you're already there. Um, with all of the neurodivergence everywhere, it's not just people coming in through a special door. And once we put in that work to change the culture, every, everyone could thrive. It's kind of like a uni universal design thing. And so if we think around kind of the cultural nu nuances that may exist, you know, you're talking about a global program here, um, the stereotypes uh, that, that may be associated with somebody who's autistic or dyslexic or ADHD. How, how have you found that? How do you think, how has that impacted being able to take this across IBM, uh, across the world? Because some, I know from my experience, some people, they can't even go home and admit they are dyslexic because of the view a family or community might have on them on that basis let alone uh, say it in, in work, right? So how, how have you found that? Um, I would say it's just through that open communication and building that safe space. Because you're absolutely right. There are a lot of these stereotypes out there. You know, 
there are stereotypes in any DEI, you know, community, but in the neurodivergent community, many of the stereotypes goes to our media, right? So if you say autistic, someone may think, you know, Sheldon from Big Bang or whatever, and it may be, you know, somebody who's really good in IT, who is male, who, you know, hits all of these other boxes, but that at the same time can exclude somebody who is, you know, a person of color or trans or what I think most importantly is not looking at the skill, right? A lot of people think, oh, neurodivergents are only good at writing code, whereas neurodivergents can be great in HR, accounting, legal, like really anything just as any other human is. But what brings that neurodivergent together um, is some of the blockers that are faced um, to affect employment, to affect advancement, uh, to, to go through those. And, and most of the accommodations, uh, which actually a, a, another company uh, is starting to use the word success enablers, um, it's integrately, but I love that language because an accommodation really sounds something very medical where a success enabler is something that's going to help this person succeed. And whether it's not sitting near the noisy printer or the smelly kitchenette, where it could be, I just need to control my own physical space. It could be different lighting. It could be working from home. Uh, many of the, these things can help anybody, but it's also sometimes just a matter of opening your heart. It's, it may not cost anything to allow an employee after COVID is over, obviously, if they need to come to the office, just 30, you know, start their day 30 minutes later than the others. So they're not as mentally exhausted from the commute or the busy bus or whatever they had to go through. So they can hit their desk with a full battery ready to go uh, instead of needing some more time to relax. Uh, same thing with adjusting uh, times of work or allowing breaks or no active noise canceling headphones, uh, you can see so much of a benefit for some for something so small. Do you think uh, the last couple of years has had a negative, positive impact on those who are neurodiverse? What have you seen? Um, uh, I guess obviously at IBM, but more broadly as well through your networks? I would say specifically COVID has become a silver lining for many neurodivergents, um, not only within IBM, but a lot of other you know, smaller companies that may not have previously embraced the work from home. Um, I, you know, just to be able to control your own sensory space or be able to take a break if you need, um, that's kind of the, been the silver lining of this pandemic that it's opened a lot of people's eyes uh, to make them more empathetic, not only of neurodivergence, but everyone in general, like people working at home with small children or you know, taking care of loved ones. I think it's improved everyone's overall empathy if there had to be a silver lining there. Yeah, definitely. And I think th this has not been in the way that we might have wanted it. So actually, what the future may look like when we have even more control over working from home, the flexibility, the different technology that's going to help us work in these different locations. Um, that 
like the next couple of years could even be more incredible, right? For those who think and act uh, differently. Yeah, and I think a lot of it goes back to that empathy because that's where you you have a lot of blockers, where you have so many neurodivergents that are facing either known or unconscious bias during the interview process, during the application process, and being judged on having good eye contact or social skills that may be expressed in a way the other person is not expecting. And I, I use that, those words specifically because I don't want to say it's poor social skills. It's just different from what you are expecting. And one of the things that's great, uh, our neurodiversity at IBM program is actually under our new collar jobs. And the new collar jobs program uh, was started a couple of years ago where it's focusing on skill and not concerned with an exact formal uh, formal diploma and not being biased against gaps in unemployment or even underemployment. Like you may have a machine, uh, you know, someone with a PhD in machine learning, but they've been working at Starbucks for the past three years. And what is the bias that, you know, may be seen on that, you know, on that resume on paper or even just simple uh, sensory considerations. When you have a job fair, right, they're loud and noisy and crowded and what can we do to change to get that candidate in and some things IBM has been part of um, is a reverse job fair where the students are actually seated and the companies rotate through just to lower that sensory experience for those students and costs nothing right it's just it's just changing your mindset that's really nice I like that as an idea and so we I remember reading something um, that was shared with me around uh, what IBM, kind of the next steps for IBM. Uh, and I remember something around, um, you know, basically rolling this out across the whole of IBM so that at some point in the not too distant future, a recruitment process f will be kind of neurodivergent friendly or whatever, you know, uh, uh, the recruitment practices. Um, what, what does that look like? What does the future look like for this program? Where do you go in? Yeah, I would I would hope that our neurodiversity targeted hiring program uh, is similar to a dating app, but it works so well that you don't need it. So a lot of these neurodivergent friendly hiring practices or interview practices, like having communication with your candidate to say, how can I make you feel most comfortable, whether it's an on-camera interview or not having bright lights coming in or whatever it might be, and having this really become universal design. So everybody can interview at their best, whatever it is, either, you know, you need an, an interpreter or you, you know, wh whatever it is, we want to remove all of those biases. And a lot of things that are neurodivergent friendly are just human friendly. Yeah. And I think that sometimes that's the, uh, the easiest way to communicate, isn't it? The Actually, it's good for everybody. Uh, and when you look at the types of uh, adjustments, I mean, I get the same. I get, I don't like reasonable adjustments. I never tick in a box that asks me if I've got a disability and would I like a reasonable adjustment. But if somebody says, you know, can we do something, a success enabler, like you said, you know, do something to be your best self, to help you be your best self. I'm like, I'm down for that. Yeah. Can you do this, this and this, you know, and the simple things like maybe extra time for an exam or 
the questions up front for the interview, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that also goes to there's a, such a huge bias about even trying to get a diagnosis on paper. Um, and do you need an actual diagnosis on paper to be able to say, hey, I can't sit near that printer or the bathroom or the kitchen at that smells like burnt popcorn and leftover Thai food? Why don't we just put a door or put a fan in? Like, let's, you know, change these things for everybody. But trying to get out of that medical model, I think is going to be very important, where we're changing our language, where we're using identity first language, right? Being neurodivergent is not something I have. I don't hold it in my pocket. It's part of who I am. Uh, changing words like diagnosed to recognized or disorder to difference, or even that the, uh, the high functioning, low functioning, like honestly, but what does that mean? We can easily say high support needs and low support needs. The amount of support is discrete. You could measure it and removing all of those factors. Um, another issue, and th this also does have global consideration, trying to find a medical provider who, number one, is available, if you can even find one, or not finding one with a wait list of you know, three years down the road, or that doesn't cost a huge amount of money, or even if you get to that provider, uh, a lot of the tests and rubrics and checklists that are used have bias in them. They might be designed for eight-year-old white schoolboys, and I may not check, en check enough boxes. They're like, oh, you're too social to be neurodivergent. You don't, you know, you only scored an 86. You have to score a 90. Um, so now you don't have this golden ticket that you can take with you to say, look, look, see, this is why I can't sit near that noisy printer, or this is why I need, uh, you know, why I need the, you know, to change my cube. And a lot of it is just sometimes just developing a social contract that is so, so easy. Um, with being neurodivergent, sometimes there's considerations of, oh, you may be thought as, as rude because you talk too long or you interrupt or you have no filter. Um, if you ask a neurodivergent, you know, how you look in these pants, you may not get the answer that that you're wanting. But on the other hand, if you had a manager came by and say, hey, we need to talk, that could make you be anxious the entire day about, oh my goodness, what is this talk about? Am I fired? Am I, did I do something wrong? Whereas if we try to you know, change our social contracting to say, hey, at two o'clock, I want to talk to you about Project X, then just by saying a few extra words or having an understanding, um, everybody could feel better. Fully agreed. So um, representation then, if organisations want to go down the route of starting to support their workforce around neurodiversity, um, what would you, what would your hints and tips be for kind of empowering people, for an organisation to empower their people to be able to start to have the conversations? I would say tip number one is just start and don't wait for everything to be perfect because it's never going to be perfect. Uh, I, I get this question a lot. And be ready to course correct. So that's tip number one. Just start and go and be agile. And if you make mistakes, apologize it or, or apologize for it. Uh, learn from it uh, and move on. 
The other one is that you have to get representation from the community. And even organizations that companies may reach out to, we need to have them vetted and ensure that they are representing the neurodivergent community. Things like, do you have neurodivergence on your board of directors? How are these things being vetted? Which organizations are you, are you pairing with? Things like not using the puzzle piece, because most neurodivergents, last I checked, are whole people and are not missing a piece. Or having, having that voice to know, I can tell you what I need. So ask, let's have a conversation. And I guess the third would be reach out, reach out to others. Yeah, other other companies have been doing this even longer, longer than you know, longer than IBM has, and uh, we all learn from each other. Uh, Disability Inn actually hosts a Autism at Work Employers Roundtable. So once a month, uh, companies that have a neurodiversity uh, acceptance or hiring program get together once a month to share best practices. And in other venues, these might be competitors, like putting IBM and Microsoft and SAP and Dell and you know all of these wonderful companies together in one room where we're openly and honestly sharing information is you know it's kind of like you know some you know some scene from a movie where you know you're getting a bunch of you know warrior kings and queens coming together to sit at a round table and and share information so it's it's really exciting. Perfect. Thank you. So uh, just finally, uh, I see a lot of content um, from employees at IBM now, which is fantastic. And uh, and I think that's really helping to kind of lift the lid on a lot of this stuff. Because um, obviously, as, as a large organization doing global programs, there's a huge amount of insight that you can provide that can help um, other organizations, smaller organizations across the world kind of learn from from the great work that you're doing so uh keep keep doing it basically because we all need it you know that sharing of ideas of insights of experience uh is exactly the reason why i started this podcast yeah i think what's been most exciting with all of our initiatives is the opportunity to do storytelling that it's not just a published document of you know follow these steps and this is what you have um where ibm IBM neurodivergent voices are not only heard, but we're being sought after, which is great. And working, you know, we, you know, having storytelling of a neurodivergent at IBMer, um, what's it like to be neurodivergent at IBMer, or a neurotypical aspect, or a parent aspect, and that's how I think we're going to make these culture shifts, these culture changes, to allow everybody to thrive. Thank you so much. Uh, I've been very much looking forward to this. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you for spending the time. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And all of this has really helped our Nothing About Us Without Us motto, which goes through, you know, everything there. And it's really, you know, so important to, you know, have a voice. And it's empowering to be at a huge company like IBM where, one voice or a handful of voices were able to make this change. And it's even a perfect time with all of the COVID redesign. Right? A lot of people are redesigning their offices so they can think about adding a meditation room or just think about the sensory diets. 
Exactly. I'm so excited about what the future uh, workplaces look like. Um, you know, forced change that is going to be better for everybody, but definitely better uh, for us, you know, uh, going back into those environments. Kind of, um, I think, uh, kind of innovation centres or, you know, or um, uh, opportunities to just, just do different types of work when we get together, um, which is very exciting. So thank you. Thanks very much. And um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Awesome. You've been listening to Neurodiversity, Eliminating Kryptonite, Enabling Superheroes. Please like, share our podcast and go on to Amazon, Waterstones or to Kogan Page's website to find our book, Neurodiversity at work by Theo Smith and Amanda Kirby, which will be coming out in August of this year. Thank you very much.